5. Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, not, we have now received reconciliation. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. What is love? I'm sure that I couldn't find it. I looked. I'm sure that there is a sermon that I've preached before you that I've started with that exact question. What is love? How are we to understand love? Does love cause us, as Whitney Houston says, to believe that the children are, are the children are our future? Is that what love is? We spend most of our lives searching for love, wanting to be loved, wanting someone to love. The world around us is continuing to define love for us. Love songs, love movies about love, everywhere is telling you this is what love is. Yet can we really define love? Now, I know y'all are all here. You're good churchgoers today. So if I were to step aside and say, well, tell me what love is, I would get all the right answers, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is so on and so forth. You may open Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 13 and pretend like you're not. I'm not reading this. I'm saying it, right? That's what love is, pastor. But if we're not at church, we're at work and someone says, what is love? What do we say? Oh, it's that squishy feeling in our stomach. I love the movie Elf. At one point, the buddy the elf is saying to this girl, I think you're real beautiful and I feel really warm when I'm around you and my tongue swells up. Is that what love is? I feel warm and my tongue swells up when you're around. What is love really? The Bible tells us God is love. But what does that even mean? How does he love us? What does it mean that he is love? What does that mean for us? How does he love his people? How is it that we are to receive that love? Paul has been pointing us to the promises of God. And we looked directly at this last week with the promises given to Abraham. 
and how we are now heirs of that promise. And now he says, there are many blessings that you receive as heirs. Peace with God, hope. Paul takes us from reconciliation to hope. And the vehicle in which he gets us there, he says, come on, let's get on love and move from reconciliation to hope. And so we boast in that hope. We boast in the hope that we have in the glory of God. This hope that will not put us to shame because he has loved us. So as we look at this text today, this wonderful passage in Romans, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the God of peace, the God of love, and the God who saves. The God of peace, the God of love. And the God who saves. Paul began, begins here with a transitionary sentence. Therefore, what is he saying that? Why is he saying therefore? In essence, Paul is summing up the first four chapters of the book. And if we were going to say this really quick, we would say, all of you are sinners. All of you are wretched, ungood sinners. None of you are without excuse. You're bad, 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 bad. Remember, I, we nailed that one day when we talked about how bad we are. Uh, but, but thanks be to God, he has sent us Jesus Christ, and you have been justified. And since you were so bad, and yet you have been justified, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Peace with God. You who are dead in your sins, you who had no life until Christ came. You who stood in the eternal courtroom, guilty and condemned. And Jesus came in and said, I am justifying you. I am declaring you as innocent and taking your punishment on myself. All of you who have fallen short of the glory of God. You have been justified. And because you have been justified, you have peace. What does peace mean? This is not merely an end to strife. This is not uh, peace, man, peace, love, right? This is not that kind of peace. It's not just no war and, and let's live together in harmony. That's not what it is. It's more than just the end of strife. It's the well-being and salvation that is given to the person who God loves. It's the Old Testament shalom. This is a peace we have to remember that comes out of hostility. We're his enemies and he says, I give to you peace. God doesn't reconcile you once you're a good person. He doesn't wait till you get to a certain point and say, okay, now you're good enough. That's not what he does. He comes to you and says, hey, you, my enemy, I'm going to love you and give you peace. And this only comes through Jesus Christ. It does not come apart from him. So we cannot boast in anything that we do, can we? Because it's not about what we do. We said this. Week after week, it's not about what we do. We bring nothing to the table. We boast in God. The God who has brought to us peace and the grace of Christ reigns through the righteousness that he has given us. And the result is eternal life. It's eternal union with him. 
Jesus has secured this peace from us, or for us, excuse me. And we have access to it by his grace. This is how God acts towards his people. He says, you are my people, and I am taking you from slavery to sin, from slavery to the law, and I'm putting you under my grace. It's a change of status. Do you boast in God? This is what he says. He says, you are moving from boasting in yourselves to boasting in God. That is how you are to live. Do you boast in God? Do you boast in your own sufferings? Verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Do we rejoice in sufferings? In essence, Paul's saying here, your sufferings do not overthrow the blessings that are ours in Christ. And so we get to boast even in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings do not define us or rule us. Our sufferings cause us to identify with Christ who suffered for us. Sufferings produce endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. As we suffer, we learn to endure. As we learn to endure, we become like Christ. And as we become like Christ, we take hope in him. So we rejoice in affliction. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? To rejoice in hardships, to say, thank you, God, for bringing me hardships that I may grow closer to you. Because in hardships, I understand if I rest on myself in suffering, I will get nowhere. It will crush me. It will overwhelm me. We have to rely on Jesus. And in fact, our sufferings we do on behalf of Jesus or as if Jesus did them. It's the conflict of the Christian life. We live in this age dominated by sin. And on the other hand, we live in the age that is to come. Where his glory has transformed all things. And we live somewhere between there, don't we? The already not yet that we've talked about so often. I am saved and I am glorified in a sense, but I am still being glorified. I am reaching to an end. And the afflictions of this life bring us to that end. Suffering increases our certainty in the hope of Jesus. And hope becomes the focal point of all of our lives. We rejoice knowing that hope will never disappoint us. Because no matter how bad things get, Jesus is still on his throne. 
No matter how bad things get, he is still reigning in our lives. This is what hope and grace mean for us. We remember what God has done for us in Jesus. We remember his accomplished work. Sometimes I think in the Christian life, we forget that our sins are already forgiven. Not just the sins you've already committed. All of your sins are already forgiven. If you were in Christ Jesus, when he was on the cross, and this is the season where we see the nails, we see the cross behind us, and we're getting ready for Easter, and we're going to look at his words, and his last words, one of his last words on the cross, were, it is finished. You know what that meant? It is finished. Now, here on the cross, your sins were paid for. And he says, you can take hope in me because I have accomplished all things. He says, take hope. I have forgiven you. Take that and go forth. Is God a God of peace for you? Do you know the peace that comes from God? We live in a world and a time where peace seems void. There's fighting between nations. There's fighting between religions. There's fighting between different political ideologies. There's fighting in families. There's fighting all over. And we come and we say, God, how are you a God of peace? Look at this world. How can you be God of peace? But he comes and he stills our troubled hearts. He says, it is finished. Though this world with devil's thrill may threaten to undo us, we trust in God because what he has done for us. So we bring our heartaches, we bring our sorrows, we bring our sufferings before him. We rely and we trust in this God of peace. We fear no nation, we feel no religion, we fear no government. And yes, the world will come against us. It is guaranteed. Even as you are in the church, you will experience pain and suffering from one another. It happens. But even still, God has brought peace to us. We are to come before him. We are to rest in this God of peace. We take hope in what he has done. We take hope in the fact that he has forgiven us. And we go out and we do likewise. We show that hope. We show that forgiveness to the world. And we rest in our second point, our God who is love. Paul now argues that there's a love we see in Christ that is far greater than any other love. He says one might lay their life down for a good person, a righteous person, maybe a good person. But Christ didn't do this. Christ died for the godless. He died for the weak. We can never think of the love of God apart from his cross. Ever. It says that at the right time, all of this was done at the right time. This is the culminating uh, ex- event of redemptive history. 
the time when Christ came as God and intervened for his people. He sent him to die for those who were his enemies, who were weak. Who would you die for? Maybe your spouse, maybe your children. Maybe a friend. Who are your enemies? Would you die for them? That person at work you just can't stand? Who are your enemies? Would you die for them? Would you lay down your life for them? Would you even lift a finger to help them? But that's not what we see in the death of Jesus. God showed his love, verse 8, for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son for those who hated him. We hated him. We showed that we hated him through our actions and our deeds. And he came and he sought out those ones who hated him. This is the reality of true love. I forgive you not because you deserve it. Not because it's easy. Because it's the way Christ loved me. That while I was his enemy, he died for me. This is where all music and movies and popular culture have it wrong. Maybe they have it right in one sense. Love is more than a feeling, isn't it? It's more than a feeling. It's more than something ushy-gushy inside of us. It's more than love notes. Do you like me? Circle yes, no. It's more than that. It's so much more than that. It is a love without restraint. It is a love that is undeserved. It is strong and it is unshakable. Have you been confronted with the love of God? He does not love you in a superficial way. He does not. He does not give us the fluttery, butterfly feelings. He gives us a love that is real and tangible. He looks at you and says, you are my enemy and yet I love you. In spite of our many offenses, not because we're good enough, not because we deserve it, but because he is gracious and good. And we're to imitate him in this. Do we love others like Jesus loves us? Do you love those who don't agree with you politically? Do you love Muslims? Do you love those who have offended you and hurt you in the deepest of ways? We are to love with a Christ-like love. Not for our own sake and not even for other sakes, but because that is what Christ has done for us. And we rest in him who has loved us 
knowing that that is our condition. It's easy for us to stand in one hand and say, well, pastor, look, now let me tell you something. Let me tell you where you're wrong. Have you heard what they're saying? Have you heard what they believe? Have you heard what they're doing to people? And I, and I say to this, you, this to you, how if that's how Jesus acted towards you? Look, Father, this is all well and good, but have you seen them? Have you seen the things they do? Have you seen the sinfulness of their hearts? Have you seen how each and every day they give an offense to your law? They don't deserve this. But that's not what he does, is it? He lays down his life sacrally, sacrificially for us. He saves us. And this is what we see third and finally, a God who saves. Paul makes an argument here. Moving from the lesser to the greater of things. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? He's reconciled us. He's justified us. Unworthy sinners. That's the greater thing. That's the thing we couldn't do. And he will accomplish all else. How much more will he deliver us? From the judgment of eternity, we are already justified. It has been accomplished through his blood. We have been conveyed a new status on the basis of Christ's death. He will finally and once and for all deliver us from sin, from death, from judgment. This is assured. Eternity is secure. We're reminded of this courtroom language. That he uses, Paul uses this over and over and over again in Romans. It's the idea of you standing in a courtroom. He's saying, you have been declared innocent of all charges. We don't come back after declaring someone innocent and send them to prison, do we? He says, no, you have been declared innocent. You have been delivered. How much more than will he deliver you from the sentence that you deserved? This is what we have received, or this is what was accomplished, I should say, through Christ's death on the cross. This is what we received when we come before him as believers and rest and accept his completed works. Outside of Christ, we are his enemies, but he has reconciled us. He has, once again, as I've said, changed our status. Our boasting then becomes a reality. We boast in him. That's how Paul ends it. More than that, we will also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rejoice, we boast in the one who has reconciled us. Paul's words come, of, come as an encouragement to the downhearted to those who are suffering, to those who are struggling. We, you have to remember your relationship with Christ. We have a new relationship. He has overcome all our present adversities. He provides absolute security for us. God has saved you. You cannot forget this. 
We never have to worry about it again. It is accomplished. And now we live with certainty that he will bring us into his glory, that we are even now sons and daughters of the God most high. And so therefore we live as sons and daughters. We live as children of the king, secure in what he has accomplished for us. Do you know the God of peace? Turn to him. Rest in him. Find security in that peace. Do you know the God of love? Then turn to him. Rest in him. Know the love, that he has loved you with a perfect love. He has laid down his life for you. Do you know the God who saves? Then turn to him. Rest in him. Trust in him. Find peace and hope and security that can only be found in him. Come and see a God who has laid down his life for you. Take courage. Take heart. There are things in this world that are going to bear down on your soul. Grief and sorrow that you will not even begin to express. But God has finished it for you. Boast in him, even in suffering, because he has secured eternity for you. Live after him in all that you do, knowing that you are secure in him. Would Jesus be the example? Would he be the foundation? Would would he be the hope, the peace, the security of our life as we dwell in a love that we did not deserve. This is what we're going to come here today and partake of. His body broken, his blood poured out, and you did not deserve it. You did nothing to earn it. But Christ, while you were his enemies, loved you so much. Sometimes I think when we consider the cross, We miss the point. What do I mean by that? We look at the cross and we say, oh man, that must have really hurt when the nails went through his hands. That must have really hurt when he was beaten with that whip. That must have really hurt when they stuck that spear in him. When they mocked him, when they beat him, that must have really hurt. Yeah, it did. He was human, it hurt. All of that, is nothing compared to the reality of the cross. It's nothing compared with these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This image of Christ on the cross and the Father, who they had perfect unity for all eternity, and the Father turns his face away. And in doing so, pours the wrath of your sins on his son. That's what Christ has done for you. 
That's what it means when he says, while you were my enemies, Christ died for you. It's not merely physical death. It is, and it's important. But it's that he took the wrath of God. He drank it to the dregs every last bit on the cross for you, for me, so that we could have hope and peace and security in him. Brothers and sisters, let's not live our lives as if if this is not true. Let's not deny ourselves the reality of our condition before him. But let us come in awe and reverence and thankfulness and rest in Christ who has accomplished this for us. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have loved us. Would we not fail to remember that love each and every day? We pray in your holy name. Amen.